the best way to disguise your evil intent? Leader Hosen. I'm Joe Fulgham. We're gonna zitzkrieg across this pockmarked landscape. I'm Kevin Leeson. Guten Tag. Ich bin Torin Atkinson. Willkommen in Outsnatron. It's the Caustic Soda Podcast! Yay! It's time to set the mics up. It's time for Tales of Woe. It's time to take the red pill on the Caustic Soda Show. It's time to do our research, unless your name is Joe. It's time to load the wiki on the Caustic Soda Show. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it makes me very hungry to introduce to you Chris Primus! But now let's get things started. Why don't you get things started? It's time to get things started on the informational, aberrational, strangulational, nauseational strap in for the Caustic Soda Show! The first in our Evil Dudes in History series. Uh, yeah, I like this idea. I'm going to start up big. Yeah, well, you got you got to start at the top. You're not going to start down at Jeffrey Dahmer or anything like that. You got to <laughs> go straight to or that guy who cut me off on the way here. <laughs> We're going to talk about that other dude, uh Adolf Hitler. You know a guy is evil when he pretty much taints the name for everybody else, yeah. right? Like if you want to insult somebody, you the, call him Hitler. Yeah, the most evil thing you can call someone. I wonder if is any this guy. I wonder if anybody had any stats on uh how many Adolfs are born in Germany every year these days? Probably not a lot. Mm. Uh, and as our super special guest, we have uh, returning from the pirate episode, uh, Chris Primus. Say hello, Chris. Hello. Yes, I'm I'm here to lend my Hitler expertise. Excellent. Yeah, I joked with my wife that I don't know if it's exactly an honor that when someone's like, <laughs> we're going to do a show about Nazis, call Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have the distinction of reading a book or two. Yes, it's true. We need people like that. And uh, I designed a World War II RPG once. Oh. Which one was that? Uh, it's called V for Victory. It was in um, back when Polyhedron Magazine used to do like D20 minigames. Oh, right. In the back of their... Yeah. Plus, you're the only one among us who's actually finished a game of Risk. <laughs> uh, I finished Risk 2010. Let's give the uh, vital statistics of uh, Adolf Hitler here. Uh, he was short. Yep. He had one ball. You gotta get that in. I heard he only had one ball. What's the deal with that? I don't know. He just did. There was a, there was a song. Yeah, there was a <laughs> playground song. He only had one ball. Uh, I don't really know the lyrics. He was a vegetarian. I found a bunch of top 10 things you didn't know about Hitler and uh, some of them seem like they may not be true so that's kind of why I'm going to read this one to you and you can tell me if you've heard confirmation on it. He became a vegetarian after attending the autopsy of a girlfriend who killed herself after being actively pursued by Hitler. He was grief stricken and felt compelled to attend the autopsy. Afterward he refused to eat meat and took every opportunity to ruin meat for others. He would often make jokes about preparing a pudding made from his blood and called beef broth corpse tea. Does any of that sound like something you've heard of? 
I have not heard that story before. Um, I'm wondering if they're referring to, I think it was his niece, um, who he had a sort of inappropriate relationship with, and she killed herself, and you know, it was very quickly sort of made to appear like it wasn't his fault. Right. It, it, it was pretty it was, suspicious. <laughs> it was yeah. his gun, I understand. Yeah. There was a TV movie on just a short while ago starring Robert Carlyle where he played Hitler, and uh, they made a big deal about this relationship with his niece. Oh, okay. It, that, that was kind of the crux of the story was this, uh, on his rise to power, this pursuit of this young girl in his family mm. that uh, ended with her committing suicide. His half-sister's daughter, Gelly, or Jelly, I don't know. <laughs> It's probably Gilly. I'm yeah, guessing. probably. Other items I have. So he was actually born in Austria. That's true. And he didn't become a German citizen until much later. And he was a decorated veteran of World War One. Joined the precursor of the Nazi Party, which was called the German Worker Party, in 1919, and became leader of the National Socialist German Workers Party in 1921. He was a messenger in World War One, which doesn't sound like it's dangerous right. until you think about the way trench systems were laid out. It's pretty dangerous. Oh, okay. So. Even more importantly, in World War One, he had a full mustache. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he did. Hadn't trimmed down to the to the uh, to the Hitler stash yet. He looks he looks kind of like an aristocratic English officer. Like he's got that mm. half closed eye and the full mustache. And Chris, what can you tell us about the Beer Hall Putsch? It's twenty-three, I believe. Oh. Yeah. 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 So that was an attempt by the early Nazi party to to have a coup in Munich, and um, Munich had been the site of of one of several failed um, communist uprisings in the post World War One period that had been basically re- ultimately repressed. You know, what was interesting about that is that they had a couple of um, German military guys of some stature, including Ludendorff, um, who was uh, the, the head of the German army in the latter half of the war. And uh, he marched with them and they sort of uh, banked on the fact that the, the police and so on would not open fire on them. And it turned out that was not a good gamble because they did open fire. (laughs) So um, a few people were killed. And this became uh, like a central moment in kind of the mythology of Nazism because, you know, they had like a flag that got blood on it. And they used to do these weird like rituals where the original flag with blood on it was touched to other flags to transmit like the blood of the martyrs, you know, of their cause from flag to flag. Oh, that's sexy. Um, So. So Hitler, you know, was arrested and he went essentially to like a country club type prison. And while he was there, that's when he uh, he was able to write Mein Kampf. Right. My struggle. I'm guessing, Chris, that you've read Mein Kampf. You know, I've skimmed it. It's kind of tedious. <laughs> I, am I the only one around the table who's read it from cover to cover? I certainly have I not. I think so, yeah. Here's the How does po- it end? The most disturbing. Spoil the ending for me. <laughs> the, end, the end of Mein Kampf is... I'm going to start World War II. Ah. It's, it's, it's actually basically a roadmap for World War II. He says, oh, we need, uh, as the German people, in order to become you know, world power, we need to take Poland and the Ukraine. And then we need to excise the Jewish people from the earth. And then we need to get Britain and America on our side. And then we will have a thousand-year Reich that will rule the world. Right. And that was, that was, he wrote that in 1924. And uh, you know, no one picked up on it. I think the Germans did. Because Some they were Germans. like, hey, that sounds good. Let's do that. <laughs> when you're reading it now, looking back on, on it through the lens of history like you do, it's kind of shocking because he basically tells you exactly what he's going to do. 
Mm-hmm. He did yeah. exactly what he said in Mein Kampf, pretty much. Well, I mean, when it, when it came out, I mean, he was, you know, he had some notoriety from the Beer Hall Push, but, you know, he was generally just seen as a kind of weird crank. And <laughs> who knew 10 years later he'd be running Germany. So he was arrested for high treason, and during during his trial, he was given almost unlimited time to speak, and his popularity soared as he voiced nationalistic sentiments in his defense speech. Yeah. So a Munich personality thus became a nationally known figure. And he was sentenced to five years imprisonment, but actually only uh, got about one year? Yeah, it wasn't that long, and it was not, it wasn't like butt-rape prison, it was <laughs> right. It was nice prison. Although if he had gone to butt-rape prison, he might have been even angrier. <laughs> That's true. Hard to believe, but... <laughs> or if he'd gone to regular prison, imagine that, like when he was recording the country ten years later, you're like, I butt-raped that guy. It's kind of like <laughs> he probably would have. When some girl becomes like a model or an actress, you're like, oh, I dated that girl in high school. Then yeah, no. but probably what would have happened is that in the Night of Long Knives, all the guys who butt-raped him would also have been killed. Oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. What was the Night of Long Knives? Night of Long Knives was in the 30s. Uh, we're jumping ahead a bit. But um, basically, the Nazi party, their organized goon squad was the SA, the Sturmarn Beitelung, um, which is like the brown shirts. Brown shirts, yeah. commonly known as. Yeah. So they were sort of the... The, the foot soldiers and street toughs who went out and like fought the communists and and kind of imposed you know Nazi power on the streets when as they were rising and what happened is after Hitler actually became chancellor the SA put him in an uncomfortable situation because he was trying to get the army to do what he wanted and essentially he really wanted to use the army but the the guys in the SA many of them they believed that this was now going to be like a, a sort of the Nazi revolution and that they were going to be the sort of preeminent foot soldiers of Nazism and because Hitler wanted the support of all the industrialists and all the money people he wasn't about to put a bunch of street toughs into that sort of position in this TV movie that I was talking about the starring Robert Carlyle Peter Stormare played the head of the SA who accused Hitler mm. of betraying him when he didn't make him his, his head of his army that guy was Ernst Rome he was another like hard case World War One veteran interestingly homosexual and uh, you know he was very out about it and didn't give a shit you know who knew uh, because he was all about the brotherhood of man and all this and that right. that's taking uh, brotherhood of man to a whole another level I yeah guess, it sure is <laughs> in the parlance of our times I guess he'd be a power top is that uh, <laughs> yes. so. perhaps yes indeed so basically uh, by this point Himmler had begun weaseling his way into Hitler's favors and had the SS had started as like kind of a bodyguard for Hitler and Himmler was expanding that as his little power base and basically at a certain point Hitler decided that the SA had to go so while they were having like kind of a retreat sort of thing Hitler and Himmler and a bunch of SS guys uh, surprised them after like kind of a night of debauchery and killed a bunch of them threw mm-hmm. Rome and a bunch of guys into prison and at the same time SS units all over Germany went to, to track down other perceived enemies of, of Hitler um, and either imprisoned or executed or imprisoned and then executed a whole bunch of people and that basically broke the power of the original SA leadership and oh. after they, they did what Hitler wanted. And that was the Night of Long Knives. That was the Night of Long Knives. Oh, and okay. yeah, Ernst Rome was executed in a prison cell by an SS guy. Like the Nazis like to do. It was their favorite <laughs> MO. I don't know if you can answer this, but why did Hitler hate the Jews so very, very much? Well, that's a big question. I mean, a lot of people 
people have tried to answer that on a psychological level, but ultimately the Jews were a convenient scapegoat for all the things that were perceived as being wrong in Germany. One of the big ways that Hitler rose to power is by flogging this myth of the Dolchloss, which was the stab in the back. And, you know, according to Hitler and other right-wing people, that the German army was, you know, undefeated on the field of battle in World War One, But at home, cowardly politicians, many of them Jews, you know, had stabbed the army in the back and they mm. had a shameful piece of Versailles, which had neutered the country and, and all this and that. Now, the fact of the matter is, you know, the German army had been fought to a standstill and in the last months of the war, they were being pushed back and taking big losses. And uh, General Ludendorff had gambled on this big offensive that ultimately had started out great and then kind of gone nowhere and then been rolled back. And there, Germany had lost the war and the politicians tried to make the best of it. I've got One an alternate theory about why he hates Jews. Oh, he, yeah. What's that? He was anti-Semitic. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's a real stretch there. <laughs> There's a, there's a theory that Hitler himself might have been partially Jewish, and it was a whole self-hatred thing. Oh, interesting. Uh, if yeah. I was Hitler, I'd hate myself. It's like those right-wing uh, politicians in the States, the Family First guys, going to get uh, hand jobs from dudes in, male, in men's bathrooms. Right. I think he yeah. doth protest too much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's become such a thing. You know, it's just like if you're a Republican in America and you go on and on about the gays, chances are you're sucking dick somewhere. So. Yeah, totally. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> No, it's just, except that you're except a hypocrite. That you're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I heard that one of the reasons that the German people liked Hitler was that he had reversed the Treaty of Versailles or certain parts mm-hmm. of the Treaty of Versailles that was kind of emasculating Germany? Yeah, so um, one of the sort of unfortunate things that happened at the end of World War One is that the, the victorious allies, they were not forward-thinking in how they ended that war. <laughs> so they really, you know, they made Germany sign a war guilt clause saying the war was all of our fault. They made them pay reparations um, and basically did a lot of harm to the German economy and so on. So, you know, like at the end of World War II, some effort was made to sort of rehabilitate Germany and Japan politically and economically that went a long way to stabilizing things in both of those countries. And okay. that did not happen at the end of World War I. Um, so Germany's military was um, limited to being only like 100,000 guys. They couldn't have tanks. Um, they lost land and you know they had to give a lot of raw materials to the allies and and money basically you know what hitler started to do was to ignore one by one various of those things um so one of the clever things that the german army did during the 20s was their army was limited but they structured it such that what they had were creating was a cadre that could become the core of a new, much larger army. So at a certain point, Hitler just began to rearm. And then, you know, basically was like, yeah, we're going to have a military again and develop an air force. Uh, Lufthansa, you know, which is still a um, going airline, airline. You know, a lot of the Lufthansa's like developments in the 20s were they were making these commercial airplanes but there there was an eye towards military, military ad, yeah adaptation they did a lot of shenanigans um interestingly enough there were backroom deals between the nazis and the soviets in the 30s 
where uh, German officers and troops like went and trained in the Soviet Union away from the eyes of the West. Oh. Yeah. There was an interesting level of cooperation between these, these ideological enemies. Yeah, like the non-aggression pact. Yeah, that was later, but yeah. yes. Well, has anybody uh, ever been to a concentration camp? Not me. I have, table? no. Uh, which yeah. one did you go to, Chris? Dachau on two occasions. I, I've been to Dachau, and uh, everybody should go to Dachau. It's a pretty incredible experience. That is pretty evil of you to say. Yeah. No. <laughs> you want to round people up and send them to a concentration <laughs> camp? Uh, everybody should go and visit. And I, uh, the, the thing that I found most interesting is what Chris was talking to, and that the, they have a museum there. You expect to go in and just they talk about the prison and like sort of when it was built. And but the museum actually starts in 1918, like it starts at the end of World War One. And it kind of paints this picture of Germany all the way through the 20s and sort of why Germans were so ready to accept this kind of government and these kinds of extreme measures and then martial law and the whole nine yards. And they kind of paint a picture and they put you in the shoes of the German people and you go, oh, I sort of kind of get it now. Because by the end of the 30s, you had all these competing political groups, and they all had their own little private armies, right? And that's where the SA came in for the Nazis. But the communists had private armies, and the Democrats had private armies, because they would just go out and shoot their political opponents who they didn't like, right? It was literally battles, like skirmishes, going on in the streets of all the major German cities all the way through the late 20s, right? And so as soon as somebody conglomerated power to the degree right. where all that sort of internecine fighting ended, people were just like, oh. We have peace and prosperity. This guy's great. These thugs are causing all sorts of chaos in our country. Put thugs in charge. Hey, look, they've stopped causing chaos. <laughs> Yay! In the 30s, the German people had every reason to like Hitler, unless you happen to be, you know, a leftist or right. a gypsy or a Jewish. Or yeah. Or what had one hand larger than the other. <laughs> he had a lot of successes, right? He annexed the Sudetenland. He had got union with Austria. All the stuff that put Germany, you know, made Germany a power again. That was called Anschluss, wasn't it? Yeah. You know what my favorite German phrase of all time is? Ziggy, no. zaggy, ziggy, zaggy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, ich habe eine Käsebrot. You. Okay. I have a large sausage. Uh, I have cheese bread. Oh. <laughs> okay, let me go through this list of other things things you didn't know about Hitler, All which right. I like to call many things that are probably not true about Hitler. I think Chris might know some of these. <laughs> the idea of blow-up dolls was invented by Hitler. <laughs> Hitler was against his men getting physically or emotionally involved with foreign women, and this is one reason why he brought the whole idea of blow-up dolls into place. He actually expected his men to fulfill their needs and be satisfied with plastic body dolls. Is that BS okay, or I no? <laughs> I've never heard that. Okay. I need a picture. They, I'd like to see a picture of these World War II era blow-up dolls. Yeah, they're not as nice as the real dolls of today. <laughs> they wanted the, the SS guys in particular to procreate. There were these SS-sponsored houses where young German girls who were unmarried were encouraged to go fuck SS guys for the purpose of procreation. And right. they gave German women medals for doing that. Nice. <laughs> because they wanted, you know, the SS guys went through a process of, uh, at least in the early days. Uh, okay. I'm guessing those medals were NSFW. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they had to be approved. They had to prove their genealogy, like that they were pure pure German back for X many generations and all this and that. So once they had gone through that process, of course, they wanted these guys to breed with women of good German stock to right. make pure German. 
Yeah, I don't know about the whole blow-up doll yeah, thing. Okay. He was a chronic hypochondriac. He feared disease and diagnosed himself with numerous conditions, mostly intestinal disorders. He treated these with medications containing poisonous wood alcohol, atropine, and strychnine, and bacteria cultivated from human feces. So he did have, like, intestinal problems. Right. And if you see footage of him at the end of the war... He's all shaky and, you know, looks terrible. And some people have said, well, he had Parkinson's disease. And other people are like, no, it's, you know, the result of all this, these essentially poisons that he was given for his various conditions. There, there's some debate about that. There, there's like a whole book, I think, that a doctor wrote about Hitler's various medical conditions. But supposedly, because his doctor encouraged him to eat raw vegetables, like, all the time, he was supposedly incontinent and constantly ripping really terrible farts and staff meetings and so on, which <laughs> is really not the thing that you think about when you think about Hitler. It would certainly take the edge off the evil. <laughs> yeah. like, he's sitting there going, we are going to kill all the Jews. <laughs> oh, you know, I just want to get out of this room, so let's do it. Whatever he says. Get out of this hot box. The Dutch yeah, oven. You can imagine what the bunker might smell like. Yeah. Although, you know, it became one of those things that you probably get inured to it if you live in the bunker with them, and you only notice it if you go outside for a couple seconds and then come back in, and it hits you like a wall. Yeah. Well, so there were a lot of assassination attempts against him, um, and, you know, one of the interesting things about Hitler is that he survived so many of them that he really did ascribe it to outside agency. You know, he thought he was blessed by providence. Yeah, because, destiny. You know, this, yeah, he was a man of destiny. And, but um, he wasn't a big religious nut or anything like that. He was not Christian, really. Right. So, but he did sort of believe in fate and destiny. And he did have, you know, astrologers and weird stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, hanging about. And there was kind of an interest uh, among certain of his circle, particularly Himmler, to sort of bring back kind of German paganism as that was seen as being a more German religion than Christianity. Right. There's some weird mysticism and stuff, certainly, that was going on there. Well, fascism and communism both sort of shared that dislike for organized religion because, of course, it took away from their power base, right? Yeah. You know, it's a small playground. You don't necessarily want to share it with anybody else, right? According to an interview with a British correspondent years after the Great War, which would be World War One, Hitler claimed a mysterious voice told him to leave a section of a crowded trench during a minor barrage. Moments after he left the area, a shell fell on that particular spot. Hitler saw this experience as a message that he was a uniquely illuminated individual who had a special task to fulfill. Right, so destiny. Mm. But destiny and an outside agency that's keeping him alive to fulfill it. I read a story about a, um, a British soldier in World War I who you know, during some battle came upon, you know, a German soldier who, you know, was basically like at his mercy, you know, like this, this guy could have shot him. He had the drop on him. Uh, and he could not pull the trigger and just sort of murder this guy. And then according to the story, it turned out that this was Hitler. Um, you know, and he could have killed Hitler. Then this guy later was not exactly beloved in England in the thirties. Oh, this is like, <laughs> this, this is like 10 times worse than that guy who ruined that catch and that that Chicago Cubs game and got ran out of Chicago. Right? <laughs> but yeah, there were news stories about this guy, as I recall. He was just sort of like, well, oops. <laughs> yeah. And that's why if, if you have the chance to shoot someone, you should always take it. I agree. <laughs> as we will demonstrate on our guns episode some point in time down the road. That's right. I'm going to shoot both of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Dieldom, alter Junge, Dieldom, Dieldom, werd nicht weich, alter Junge, werd nicht weich. Glaub mir nur, schöne Mädels gibt's ja auch übern Teich, werd nicht weich, alter Junge, werd nicht weich. Verklungen sind die alten Lieder. Schöne Zeit, du bist für immer entschwunden. Wo seid ihr Freunde, die ich einst gefunden? Ich glaub, ich seh euch niemals wieder. Das Glas mit alten Freunden. Jedem noch einmal gibt es Augenblick. Und noch einmal die Feindeshand So I did find a story I was thinking of. Okay. It's about a British soldier who won the Victoria Cross. For not killing Hitler? That's weird. No, no, no. For for other things. <laughs> for all the people he did kill before he didn't uh... kill Hitler. So supposedly when, uh, when Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain went to Munich to meet with Hitler in 1938. Where he ended up giving away like half of Czechoslovakia? Yeah. During I... that trip. Hitler invited him to his newly completed retreat in Berchtesgaden, and while there, found a reproduction of a famous painting depicting Allied troops, and puzzled by the choice of art, Hitler explained, that man came so near to killing me, I thought I should never see Germany again. Providence saved me from such devilishly accurate fire as those English boys were aiming at us. Some debate about whether or not this is a true story. Here's what I want to know. Maybe you can shine some light on this because I never really understood it. Why was it that Neville Chamberlain was in a position to negotiate away half of Czechoslovakia? Like, you think the, <laughs> the Czechs and the Slovaks might have had something to say about it. Like, it, was not, it wasn't part of a British colony. Like, how come Neville Chamberlain was like, yeah, go ahead, take the Sudetenland. We don't need it. When, it, when they never had it in the first place. There was a lot of, of treaty guarantees, and you know, when the war finally started, it was because England and France had, had guaranteed the independence of Poland, and so when Germany invaded, they were obligated to declare war. They were defaulting on that uh, contract. Yeah. So basically, you know, what Neville Chamberlain was saying is, look, if we allow you to annex the Sudetenland and all this and that, you know, we won't declare war as long as you promise that this is the end of your territorial ambition. <laughs> right. Didn't go sure. so well. You know what the dead giveaway should have been? When he looked at Chamberlain and went, sure. When he did that like two octaves higher thing, <laughs> that is a dead giveaway. Yeah. That's a- you know what they say about Germans? You give them Czechoslovakia and they take the whole of the continent. Chamberlain's famous quote is that this was going to guarantee peace in our time. And the idea being, look, if we just give Hitler this, you know, living room that he's asking for, right. you know, then, then we won't have to have another war. And, you know, to, to Chamberlain's um, 
I don't want to say his defense exactly, but, you know, World War I was pretty terrible for all concerned. So he was trying to prevent another world war. And that's, you know, you can't really give the guy shit for that, you know. <laughs> like if he, Except for the fact that he has, he's tacitly complicit in the annexing yeah. of another country. Like, can you imagine when Chamberlain and Hitler came out and announced that, uh, oh, we have peace in our time. We've got, uh, we're suspending our treaty over the Sudetenland. All the Czechs love go, what the fuck? <laughs> like just look at each other and go hello. what what the uh, hello we're what? over here uh, hello we live where you're giving him the land in in a lot of these areas that were annexed the you know the argument was that there were ethnic germans living there which was true and you know of course the ethnic germans in those areas were all about having hitler come in because essentially that would give them a leg up over their neighbors you know yeah but when you backpass <laughs> across southeast asia there's there's uh, german nationals there too do they get that as well they're everywhere <laughs> So you're saying it's bad logic. <laughs> they were claiming that there were heavy German populations in these specific areas. Now, obviously, there's some room for debate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there are probably, you know, a smattering of Czechs and Slovaks so Was that, was as that well. planned in advance? Was that some kind of crazy German baby bomb? Like, okay, everybody go move to neighboring countries and then have a lot of babies. <laughs> and then in 20 or 30 years, we can there'll be so country. many of you that we'll just argue, well, look at all these Germans living there. We'd better take that land. <laughs> I mean, this is a result of what happened at the end of World War One, right? Because you had the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which was a quite big empire with many, many different nationalities in it. And it was essentially carved up into all these different countries, right? Czechoslovakia, not a country but before that. Yugoslavia, not a country before that. You had these multi-ethnic nations, you know, trying to figure out how they were going to get along and whatever. And, yeah, there were ethnic Germans in, in a bunch of these areas, you know, dating back to, like, medieval settlements, you know. Yeah. So it's complicated. That's all I'm saying. But I'm also saying you shouldn't trust Hitler because that was <laughs> – <laughs> I'm going to get a t-shirt that says that. Oh, come on, trust 2020 hindsight, please. <laughs> who, I don't know. Who would have thought? I don't think I could have ever stared at that mustache and gone, this guy's a trustworthy guy. You, you view that now with the knowledge that that's a Hitler mustache. Yeah. Back then, you'd be like, look at that guy rocking the thin, weak, weird mustache. <laughs> this guy is head and shoulders above all those other guys. I, I don't know. I, I, I see guys like hipsters out there wearing like the weirdo <laughs> beard hair and all the rest of right. that stuff with like this kind of weirdo sculpting, and I think... Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lend that guy my house keys. You're not going to uh, give those hipsters Czechoslovakia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and they asked for it. The thing that always baffled me about the Nazi leadership is here's all these guys extolling the virtues of you know the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, like Aryan Superman. And who were these guys? Hitler, Himmler, the chicken farmer. You know, like none of these guys were even blonde. You know, never mind like statuesque Viking dudes. Right. Hitler was basically a mole man. <laughs> uh, in the the version of Mein Kampf that I read, the middle section had all those kind of glossy photos in the middle, and there were some pictures of Hitler and all the architects of the Munich Putsch uh, sitting in the Hofbrau House in uh, downtown Munich, plotting their takeover of the government. Right, and they were all wearing lederhosen. It's just <laughs> impossible to paint these guys with a seriously evil brush yeah. when they're wearing lederhosen because they look so ridiculous. That was their secret. They did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. We will wear lederhosen and nobody will know we're evil. So let's talk about uh, Hitler's final days in suicide then. All right. <laughs> All right. Jumping over World War II, we oh, get to yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, World War II is kind of, you know, I mean, everybody's sort of got a clear picture of what he did during World War II, don't they? I guess the thing I would mention that that is not talked about a lot, except by people who are kind of into the more military history side, is is the degree to which Hitler's insistence on commanding his generals in a very specific way really helped the Allies win the war. Yeah, um, like not letting yeah. his generals just do their thing, like he actually... He did not trust his generals, and that just increased as the war went on. Um, and he really... He was a, he became a micromanager is what happened. Mm. So, you know, for example, like on D-Day, you know, well, tens of thousands of Allied troops were coming aboard, uh, you know, onto the continent. Um, the panzer divisions that might have driven them back into the sea had they promptly counterattacked, which was Rommel, what Rommel wanted to do, they didn't move because Hitler himself had to release them and when the invasion started, Hitler was asleep. No one wanted to wake him. He looks so nice. It's the only time he looks cute. I mean, he's yeah, I bet he was sucking his look thumb. Look at him. He's got the little baby oh, face. Oh, look at yeah. little Hitler. He began to cling to this idea that they should not give up like one foot of ground. And so rather than engaging in the sort of tactically flexible warfare that the German army was really good at, that instead they should create these like fortress cities and, you know, they should just never retreat because retreating was bad. And, you know, it really hampered the effectiveness of the German army who were very good at at these sort of, you know, maneuver tactics and... You know, they could have really done a lot more, particularly on the Eastern Front, if they were allowed some flexibility instead of being given these stupid and suicidal, you must hold at all cost orders. Yeah, I mean, the, the German army uh, in World War II pretty much invented, you know, mobile military tactics with the the, the, the incredibly fast tanks and the, the Blitzkrieg and uh, just like rolling over people. All I know is Seems next time I have a lousy boss who micromanages, I'm just going to be able to say, you know who else micromanages? Hitler. <laughs> it's true. The old Hitler argument. All right, so yeah. how, how did it all go down in those last few days? So basically, the Russians just were pummeling the Germans, right? And, you know, they were driving huge wedges and reconquering all this territory. And, you know, ultimately, they, they got to Berlin. And people kept trying to convince Hitler that he should leave Berlin. Um, and he should go, you know, they were trying to prepare, you know, this big sort of fortress in the Alps from which they were going to wage a guerrilla war and they wanted Hitler to go there and he decided basically fuck it <laughs> the German people have failed me right. they deserve what they get now and it's all going to end in a giant Dr. Gamerung. so he was holed up in this bunker you know till the end he was kind of ordering around German divisions that either didn't exist or if they did exist were not divisions really anymore to make these big sweeping counterattacks it was all just fantasy at that point. And, um, and basically, yeah, as the Russians got closer, he decided that he was going to, go, you know, kill himself. You know, Ava Brown took poison. Hitler took poison and shot himself to make sure he got the job done. And in perhaps the uh, the most kind of tragic turn, Goebbels had this big family of kids who were all down there in the bunker. And he and his wife poisoned all their kids. And there's really creepy photos of their, I don't know, it's like four to six kids. I forget exactly how many, but they were young, you know, like less than 10 years old. And they were all dressed in white and there's pictures of them all kind of laid out dead because they were poisoned because the Goebbels mm. couldn't imagine their children living in a world without Hitler. 
Hitler's body was never put on display or anything like that. Like, I mean, you've got pictures of uh, Mussolini well, strung up and dragged through the street and all the rest of that yeah. stuff. How come they didn't do the same thing with Hitler? How come they didn't make a spectacle of him? His surviving, you know, officers and such took the bodies of he and Ava Brown into the the in back of the bunker and threw gasoline on them and lit them on fire. The the Russians they had some special like squads of dudes who were trying to find Hitler's body. The the stuff that they did on Earth was sent back to Stalin. Just Stalin wanted to basically he wanted the pieces. Right. <laughs> and then it gets really murky. Supposedly some bits of him were buried somewhere in Germany and then some parts were brought to Stalin or whatever. But they didn't have, I mean, the bodies were burned. So it wasn't like they had a, a nice looking corpse that they could show around. They're probably in a crate right next to the crystal aliens in Indiana Jones. The Ark of the Covenant. Hitler did have a bunch of lookalikes and, um, you know, the Russians found, they first found one of his dead lookalikes in um, uh, the Reichstag, and they thought that was Hitler, and then they figured out that it was not. Because yeah. he had two testicles. Now, were these official lookalikes, or were these just groupies? <laughs> and also, what's the German word for groupie? I need to know uh, that. Man, I was so into Hitler before he became the Supreme Chancellor. <laughs> <laughs> these guys are all just wannabes. <laughs> all right, let's go to uh, In the News, then. A first-time Indian director has announced that he will make a movie, Dear Friend Hitler, originally titled Hail Hitler, uh, stars Indian actors as Hitler and Eva Braun and will focus on what the director claims was Hitler's love for India and how he indirectly contributed to Indian independence. Western producers have occasionally attempted to make fun of Hitler, ranging from successes like The Producers to fiascos like Heil Honey, I'm Home. What? <laughs> which I can tell you about in a second. <laughs> but Dear Friend Hitler is not a traditional Bollywood musical and makes no claims to comedy. Quote, It aims to capture the personality of Adolf Hitler and, and his insecurities, his charisma, and his paranoia during the last few days of his life. In other words, this is downfall, but with a positive spin. So that's what the world's been missing. Yeah. Oh, if only. In India, awareness of the Holocaust is limited. Characters in Bollywood films jokingly refer to bossy family members as Hitler, provoking a sharp intake of breath from many Western viewers. In 2006, a Nazi-themed cafe opened in Mumbai with the name Hitler's Cross. What? The comments of the director Rakesh Ranjan Kumar and his producers display a shocking ignorance of historical fact. Kumar's assertion that Hitler had a love for India and his producer's <laughs> statement that if we should thank anybody for Indian freedom, it should be Hitler, are not merely misguided. They are completely <laughs> wrong. Wow. The idea that Hitler should be thanked for Indian independence proceeds from the view that by weakening Britain, Germany forced it to abandon its empire. Hitler never supported Indian self-rule. He advised British politicians to shoot Gandhi and hundreds of other leaders of the freedom struggle. Repeatedly, he expressed support for British imperialism. He only regretted that it was not harsh enough. Yeah, Hitler made no bones about the fact that he wanted to be allies with the British, that he thought the British and the German people were were simpatico. So, movies with Hitler. One of my personal favorites, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yes, He's naturally. The, the target of a fictional assassination attempt. Actually, the target of a fictional assassination success. Uh, well, it's a fictional ending, <laughs> but a very satisfying one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah they, they spend a lot of time lingering the camera on Hitler's head as they pummel it with a submachine gun at close range. Yeah. Has anybody seen The Boys from Brazil? Uh, I read the book. 
Gregory Peck plays death camp Dr. Joseph Mengele in this film based on the novel by Ira Levin. Mengele escaped to South America following the war, and he's been working on a long-term plan to create clones of Hitler and once again bring about the rise of the Third Reich. He's opposed by Laurence Olivier playing Ezra Lieberman, an aging Nazi hunter. Uh-huh. Besides getting to see Peck and Olivier in a geriatric slugfest, we're also introduced to several of the creepy young Hitler clones, all played by the same actor. How does this fall in the nature or nurture thing? Are all the Hitler clones, like, evil and hating Jews, or did they have to bring them up that way, or, well, or are they different? Well, certainly Mengele is trying to point them in that direction. Right, but does you know, it work? When your quote-unquote father is Joseph Mengele, you're not you're not exactly helping yourself out. Well, until, and, they, until they hit their teenage years and start rebelling. <laughs> yes. Screw you, man. Jews are people too you can't tell me what to hate i'm adolf hitler's clone i hate hate you you're not my father they could turn into some kind of trying to make up for their genetic mistakes in the past and they all try to make the world a better place in order to make up for what hitler did to make it worse that's not what happens in the story that would be a much better movie where the guy tries to raise like an army of clone hitlers to take over and be evil and they all hit rebellious age and just spread across the world to do good works and benefit mankind in Star Wars nerd terminology they don't become Boba Fett's they become Luke Skywalker's yeah exactly and they get a rough deal because they keep those mustaches (laughs) downfall I haven't seen it but I've I've seen tons of the downfall uh, how would we call them uh, retranslations. Yeah, well, because yeah. there's a whole section in it where Hitler raves in German, but they subtitle it, right? Yeah. One of the first ones that I saw was actually for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. They take the, the bit where, where Hitler is raving at his generals about how they're incompetent and he has to take over the army and the whole nine yards. They redo all the subtitles for different topics of conversation. Right. And it went it went viral and there's... Yeah, there's many. And uh, it's, some of them are hysterical. My favorite one is, uh, you know, the Nazis are planning a game convention and uh, <laughs> Hitler wants to put on his Battletech game and then his friends have to reluctantly tell him that Himmler's mom, who was storing all of their Battletech miniatures, sold them all. And that's when he loses it. Yes, Hitler explodes and basically is like, what am I supposed to do, run a furry RPG? <laughs> What's extra funny about it is that in Battletech, one of the houses is the house of... Of Steiner, yeah. and one of the guys in that scene historically is named Steiner. So while you're listening to it in German, you can hear Hitler talk about Steiner. And then mention- <laughs> so I mentioned Heil, honey, I'm home. A controversial British television sitcom produced in 1990, which was cancelled after one episode aired. <laughs> Centers on fictionalized versions of Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun, who lived next door to a Jewish couple, Arnie and Rosa Goldenstein. The show's plot is centered on Hitler's inability to get along with his neighbors. So I can't it's believe the that. <laughs> it's the honeymooners, basically. <laughs> One of these days, Eva, pow. Right to the <laughs> concentration <laughs> camp. Did you know there was a short film called Punching Hitler? No, no. it sounds great. A guy named Willis is house-sitting for his boss and entertaining a couple of drinking buddies, Don and Bernie, when he shows his pals a strange device out in the garage. The trio come to realize that it's a time machine. And, of course, the first thing any sane individual would do with a time machine is to go back and punch an eight-year-old Adolf Hitler in the face. That's exactly what they do before (laughs) deciding to travel through Hitler's life and punch him in the face every single day for 56 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and this is what turns him into an evil, hateful person. This is a, that's a time paradox again. So in the series finale for the kids in the hall, 
they decided that they were going to do an episode because it was their last episode ever, so they couldn't be canceled. So they were going to do every Now's sketch. the time. Every sketch that had ever been censored out of previous episodes, they were now going to <laughs> unleash on the world. And one of them was Hitler fucks a donkey. <laughs> you end up out in a farmyard, and there's a farmer and a little kid. And the little kid goes, Daddy, what's that man doing to my donkey? And he goes, that man is Hitler, son. And he's fucking your donkey. And then you cut to Bruce McDonald with a little Hitler mustache in the uniform. And you just have this tail waving in front of his face. And he's making, yeah. he's making O faces. He's like, oh, oh, oh. And that's, that's the whole sketch. Hitler blanks a donkey. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they yeah. called it Hitler blanks a donkey. But they like yeah. leaped out his voice. But it was quite obvious he was saying, yeah. that man is fucking All right. Donkey. Also, we'll be embedded on the post for this. Has anybody seen The Great Dictator? Yeah. Charlie Chaplin. It's, one, it's been on my list, but I never got around to watching it. What can you tell us about it, uh, Chris? Well, I mean, what's interesting about it is that it's, it's you know, like a contemporary parody of Hitler. You know, it's, it's sort of, I guess, easy to look back on Hitler now. And mm-hmm. He was so evil, but Chaplin, he was, he was doing the parody thing. Back at the time. Yeah. Right, 1940. Uh, oh, I guess he'd already invaded Poland by then. Yeah, that was 1939. Um, but there was a period early in the war called the Zitzkrieg, which was the phony war, where like war had been declared, but for six months, Britain and France didn't really do a whole lot. And uh, so, Zitzkrieg sounds like all the things that teenage boys do when they declare war. The war on, on pimples. pimples, yeah. yeah. I knew you were going to go there, and I'm glad you did. <laughs> it was the alternate German title for Clearasil. It's Krieg. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in The Great Dictator, Chaplin plays both the Jewish private suffering from amnesia and the brutal dictator of Tomania, Adenoid Hinkel, meant as a direct parody of Hitler, each of whom could pass as the other's double. This leads to a hilarious case of mistaken identity. <laughs> Triumph of the Will? I like the way it's shot. It's one of those things like, oh, you can appreciate the camera work, but subject matter... Hitler was a big movie buff. Talk about Riefenstahl. You know, you can't really go wrong with uh, somebody who has an eye for composition like she does. Yeah, there was a whole thing in the 20s where there were all these German, like, mountaineering movies. It was like a whole bizarre subgenre of movies. Was it a lot um, of yodeling? Well, it's more like, you know, man against mountain. Oh, and, you know, okay. It's all seen as being very Germanic and, you know, struggling against nature. Like the fictional movie Piz Palu in uh, Glorious Bastards. That's the movie that she's showing. Uh, oh that, yes, yes. That they reference in the bar scene, because okay. uh, he talks about how. Oh, have you seen the famous movie Pitzbalu and In the Shadow of Pitzbalu? And I was my sister and my brother and my father and I were skiing in that big ski uh, scene with the lanterns. Oh, okay. They refer to their mountaineering movie. So Lenny Riefenstahl was like an actress in some of those mountaineering movies, and then she became a filmmaker. And then there was Triumph of the Will, which, you know, documents Nazi party rallies. It's creepy because, like, they're really well shot and, you know, there's some, like, innovative cinematic techniques in it. You know, it's all propaganda, yeah. right? I so, mean, she was a legit yeah. forward-thinking filmmaker. I mean, she was in an influence. Yeah, just she just happened to hitch her wagon to, you know, one of the most evil guys in history. Well, I mean, he was paying the bills. How many Ohio Hitlers out of ten would you give it? Triumph of the Will? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost two scores. Like the movie itself, it's not really a story per se. Right. But cinematography, nine out of ten, Hiles. All right. <laughs> well, we got to talk about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Of course we do. Because there's that book burning scene where Indiana Jones gets his. Gets uh, it's his right. father's Grail diary, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
classic. They go to Berlin to get back Sean Connery's Grail Diary, and Hitler signs his autograph in it. So that was funny. Yeah. A little, little Hitler humor. Uh, Hitler was really big into Grail mythology and all that. Right. There was a uh, famous like propaganda poster that showed Hitler like kind of as like a as a like a Grail knight kind of. Um, oh. That it didn't really you know you put Hitler in armor it doesn't actually look real good. But. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course there's the producers. Well, yeah. Zero Spring. Mostel and Gene Wilder. Springtime for Hitler. Putting on the uh, the play. Trying to put yeah. on the biggest flop in history called uh, Springtime for Hitler, yeah. A very successful Broadway musical play. Yeah. Hitler was a boss in the video game uh, Castle Wolfenstein 3D. Oh. And at the very end, you get to fight him, and he's in a giant mech suit. Nice. Like they had. <laughs> there was a um, an adventure for the Champions role-playing game called Wings of the Valkyrie in which it was a, one of these time travel adventures and you have to go back in time and save Hitler because someone goes back in time to kill him and that destroys the timeline and causes all sorts of havoc. So you have to ironically save Hitler. Oh, to that is weird. Time. Oh. That's interesting. And it came out and immediately, like there was such a furor about it. Um, not a, not a furor, a furor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> A furor, furor. Right. So, that adventure was was contentious enough that the Hero Games pulled it, and you know, not many copies were actually sold. Um, so it's now an RPG rarity, which right. I have a copy of. Well, well, <laughs> near Hitler Hall of Shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Valkyrie, the Tom Cruise vehicle, not as bad as a lot of the critics made it out to be, but not good. I don't really actually know anything about it, so give me the lowdown. I think the most annoying part is that Tom Cruise has a really amorphous accent, talks like an American in some scenes, talks British in other scenes, kind of this weirdo sort of pseudo-German accent in other scenes. He's just all over the map on it, and that, mm. it's very distracting. It certainly takes away from the plot of the movie, which was an interesting one, and a plot to kill Hitler. Right? So it's very Kevin Costner, uh, Robin Hood accent, yeah. where he starts off with yeah. it and eventually becomes an American, and then it kind of comes back again. Yeah, I think Tom Cruise was even worse than this. It was noticeable. A pretty famous example of, of a near miss on Hitler, where they planted a briefcase with a bomb at a high-level meeting and blew up a couple of people, but Hitler didn't happen to be one of them, because... He wasn't standing in the right spot, and so the, there was a large table right. between Hitler and the bomb, which pretty much shielded him from the blast. That future person put there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just come in and reinforce this table. That was the plot that Rommel was associated with, I believe, and so he got yes. kind of caught up in it, and uh, pretty much everybody who was involved got uh, was either executed or forced to commit suicide. Yeah, a lot of them were strangled with piano wire, which is delightful. Yeah, a particularly not nice <laughs> way to go. So, Chris, if people want to find out more about what you've been working on, where can they go on the Internet? Yeah, well, you can go to greenrenine.com, which is the company website, and uh, that's got all the latest info about uh, the stuff we're doing. Uh, the main games we're supporting currently are uh, Dragon Age, uh, Song of Ice and Fire role-playing, DC Adventures, Ooh. and Mutant Masterminds. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Yeah, always, uh, a good time happy. as always. And we'll have you back about when we do our Battle of the Bulge. Oh, okay. Just yeah. not to be confused with the gluttony episode. <laughs> <laughs>